I'd like to give a primer on the topic of prayer, a primer on prayer. And though it is a primer and basic kind of fundamental things about prayer, it's going to take me a little bit of time to unpack it. So if you will stick with me through two or three episodes on this, this will be the first episode on this primer on prayer. We'll cover uh, the topics of how prayers come in different shapes and sizes, how they prayed in the early church, how Nehemiah prayed, how Paul prayed for people, and how Jesus taught us to pray. So in this part one, let's just cover how prayers come in different shapes and sizes and how they prayed in the early church, and then we'll take it from here in uh, succeeding episodes. We'll talk a little bit about all kinds of prayer in a minute, but the emphasis I'd like to give would be on intercession, on intercessory prayer in particular. Um, I mentor uh, a number of young men uh, who are following Jesus and living lives of service. And recently, I brought some of them to a place called Prayer Mountain in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's a, a retreat center. It's actually called Fasting and Prayer Mountain, run by these two little Korean ladies who are just so committed to prayer. And it's a beautiful place. It's just given to uh, the, the uh, intercession on the behalf of, you know, Christians from all over. And they're just, it's a beautiful place. You might want to check it out as a place if you're looking for a retreat center. But we went and spent the day um, talking about prayer and then practicing it. One of my big concerns these days is for young disciples' prayer lives, I, I'm seeing you know more about devotions than praying. I, I don't see necessarily a lot of young men and women who are having uh, daily con- what I call concentrated conversations with God. There's you know hit and miss what you know kind of Twitter prayers. Uh, brief kind of touching base prayers with God throughout the day, and that's good. You know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, and I think that's a, a huge part of a life of prayer, and some people don't have that, and so that's a beautiful thing. But I'm not seeing a lot of understanding about having, you know, a devoted time to really just converse with God every day, whether it's I mean, I, I don't know if it can be... Sh- I don't see how you can have a conversation with God if it's your daily appointment, less than about 15 minutes. But, I mean, it might go into hours. But I'm just saying I'm not seeing a lot of emphasis on that. I'm also not seeing a lot of understanding about spiritual warfare kinds of praying or intercessory pray- praying. Or I'm not seeing a lot of gatherings for prayer for the church. Churches get uh, quite busy. I know. I pastored for 30 years, and it's just so easy to get, you know, the church schedule so busy with, you know, more programs than prayer. Um, And frankly, it's easier to put on a program. It's easier to do a program. It's more gratifying. It's more visible to do an event with a bunch of people than to pray with a bunch of people, right? I mean... Uh, prayer can be, and especially intercessory, intercessory prayer, 
can be hard work. It's, it can be arduous. It doesn't have a lot of obvious, uh, uh, visible, soon uh, consequences. It's somebody described uh, intercessory prayer as drilling in a mountainside uh, to put dynamite into the mountain, into the rock, drilling into the rock, so that you can blow a mountainside up and put a road there or whatever. And the prayer part, we want it to look like the dynamite, but it really, you know, dynamite and the explosion, I should say, is is predicated on the drilling, first of all, and that can be in the, the the pun can be, as I've said this illustration many times before, that drilling can be boring. And so you're boring into the mountain. But, you know, I, I noticed in Isaiah chapter 43, let me just read a few verses here. These are very famous verses here. You're going to be familiar with these. Forget not the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people and my chosen people, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Those are such beautiful verses and so often read in gatherings of people for encouragement and to look forward and not backward. And I can't remember the last time anybody read the the, the, these verses in a gathering where they didn't stop there. They didn't read verse 22, the next verse. So let me just finish up again with what I said before in verse 21, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise, yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. And he goes on to talk about you haven't brought offerings and honored me with sacrifices and, you know, done the things that I've asked you to do. But especially, you've not called upon me or wearied yourselves for me. And it's interesting, you know, what we want is the new thing. Uh, We want streams in the desert. We want, you know, the people I've formed for myself. But there's still a big yet. And the yet is, you've not called on me. You've not wearied yourself. So sometimes prayer can be wearying, especially if you, you know, pray when you don't want to and pray, you know, long seasons of time even. And uh, we just kind of have a Christianity that's just more comfort oriented than that, I think. Now, let me do say this. I, I am seeing some strengths in the lives of prayer of young disciples these day, days in a couple of areas. One is journaling. I think it's a beautiful thing that so many young followers of Jesus are journaling their prayers. And that's a great thing. I hope when you do that, if you're a journaler, that you also have conversations, vocal conversations with God. I think they kind of function a little bit differently, but journaling is a beautiful thing. Journal if if you do, and if you don't, you might try it. Um, And I would say maybe another aspect of prayer that I'm seeing some strengths in with young disciples is especially in revival movements where people are praying for the sick and praying for healing. So there's, there's in, in many ways, uh, young 
Christians are doing a better job than my generation in that regard. But I would, what, here's what I'd like to do, is I'd like to give a primer on prayer. I'm going to read a lot of scripture and talk about a lot of things, but there's no way I'm going to, you know, really, you know, unpack a lot of passages. And we'll just kind of see how the, this goes. I'm following the passages and the outline-ish kind of thing that we did when we went with uh, my young mentees uh, for this day of prayer. And I just thought, hmm, I think this might be something that could uh, help other people. So that's what I'm doing. So this is a just a primer. <clears throat> and uh, the outline of all these passages, if you're interested to have them and don't, don't want to stop and take notes or, or whatever, write down the, the passages... Uh, I will put them on my blog, amusingthemysteries.wordpress.com. I will put this whole outline, and I'll call it a primer on prayer. And I'm going to uh, recommend some books on prayer, and there are many, 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 many others. I just have, oh, six or seven that I might uh, point out to you in case you're interested to read some more about prayer. I know that uh, books on prayer by uh, Jack Hayford and Ian e. Bounds and uh, uh, John Hyde and Reese, uh, about Reese Howells and these others have been an encouragement to me and really got me started years and years and years ago in uh, intercessory prayer. So, so the first uh, point I'd like to make, I just wanted to list a, a bunch of passages to show that prayers come in different sizes and shapes. <laughs> there's not just one kind of prayer. Kind of like I was just saying before, you know, there's journaling and there's, you know, concentrated conversations. There's quick, you know, kind of impassing prayers. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, oh, I should say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 8, he said, I urge then, uh, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth because there's one God and one mediator between God and man, uh, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a, a, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, I don't want to unpack all that. I just wanted to point out that, that he shows the different types of prayers here, right? Petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving. And then he says at the end, you know, lifting up holy hands without <clears throat> anger or disputing. And then there's this Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and following. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers uh, and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whatever I speak, words may be given to me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So he talks about praying in the Spirit. Um, he talks about praying on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. So there isn't just 
one way to pray. And some people are very quiet. Some people pray mostly in, you know, silently or in their heads. Others, you know, shout. Others, you know, pace back and forth. Some kneel. Some, uh, you know, pray in different ways. Um, he, then he says, you know, keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he tells us to pray for, for one another. Keep doing that. Pray also for me. So we want to pray for leaders, um, especially ones that are, you know, proclaiming the, the mystery of the gospel. And then he says, pray that I may declare it, uh, declare it fearlessly. So there's worshiping, confessing, resolving, interceding, asking, uh, praising prayers, right? Now, um, I don't know that I'll come to this at another place, so let me just uh, mention, at least in passing, about this pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So that in the Holy Spirit, I think he's referring to, um, although in 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about praying with our spirit, lowercase s. But I think... Uh, when we talk first of all about praying in the spirit, it's it's praying with your with our hearts controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like in Romans eight uh, twenty six ish, uh, where he talks about the Holy Spirit helping us pray because we don't know what to pray for as we ought, and he guides us. He shows us what we don't know, and and otherwise we're kind of praying all over the map. So. I think praying in the Spirit is praying with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I think one of the ways that we pray with the help of the Holy Spirit is to pray uh, in a spiritual language, uh, often called tongues, in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 14, for instance, he says, I will pray in a tongue, uh, or if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. My spirit prays, not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is empowering his spirit, uh, uh, Paul's spirit, to pray. And this is where we pray in a spiritual language. And you can find that, of course, in uh, several occasions in the book of Acts, also in uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and then one other passage uh, that I would refer to, and when we're talking about, well, more than one other, there's a couple of others after this, um, is Revelation 5.8. This is an interesting passage to me, and and I'll just try to unpack it just a bit. <clears throat> and it says, uh, uh, when John, the revelator, had taken the scroll, it says, the four living creatures and the four, 20, uh, uh, four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, that would be Jesus. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They're the prayers of God's people. Um, not to try to interpret the whole book of Revelation here or influence you toward a particular way to interpret even this passage, let alone the entire book of, of Revelation. But it, it appears, at least from my vantage point, as I read that fifth chapter of Revelation, it seems like that scroll that John uh, receives is a, uh, it's God's plan uh, unfolded or unfurled. 
It's like a will, you know, for somebody that does their last will and testament. In this case, it's sealed. And it's like, it, I think he might be saying it, God is the testator. He's the one who, it's his will and testament. And of course, the Lamb of God uh, died for us. And he's opening, opening uh, John is opening God's will. <laughs> he's unfurling it. And <clears throat> he's showing us all that the Lamb of God died to purchase. And so it's kind of like a the pink slip of the earth, the title deed to the planet. At the opening of this will are these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So in other words, he's actually saying that we're involved. We're in, we're part of this thing. We get involved in unfurling this will of God. And, and, and I think that's where prayer comes in. It's it's where we align ourselves with God's sovereign plan, which is like the unfolding of his, of his will, right? And, and so to me, praying uh, is, it's kind of like asking God for stuff he asks me to ask him for. Does that make sense? It's asking him to show me what he wants me to ask him for. And I, so I get in, uh, in alignment with the scroll and its contents, and then he opens it. He unfurls it as I, you know, in humility, wait for instructions from headquarters, kind of like that. Like when Jesus said, and I think I'll refer to this later again, but when Jesus talked about the keys of the kingdom. Now, you know, keys of the kingdom, we don't own the kingdom, but he's given us keys. We work for the owner, and uh, he gives us the capability to lock up things and to open things, some, some things he wants locked up and other things he wants opened. He wants the opening is the unfurling of the will of God, the kingdom of God. You know, the owner of the company doesn't usually carry around a lot of keys, right? He or she gives those keys to his or her workers, to his or her partners. And so we're the ones with the keys that unlock the things that the owner of his kingdom wants to unlock. And I think, I think we need to see prayer more like this than just kind of going through, you know, the motions. Okay, let me move on to the, the next passage as we're just kind of talking about all kinds of prayers, different shapes and sizes of prayers. Uh, in First Samuel, Samuel says, as for me, this is at the end of his life and he's addressing the nation and he says, you know, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I, I just think, what a beautiful thing he said there. And it's a great reminder, especially to spiritual leaders, if you know, parents and partners, but especially for spiritual leaders, that it's a sin to not pray for people that we are trying to influence toward the kingdom. I, I know for me, there have been times in my life when I'm uh, less prayerful for the people I'm trying to disciple. And frankly, I see the results of it. And then in Colossians 4.12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured wrestling in prayer that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And I, again, I'm not sure that I'm seeing a lot of this 
kind of wrestling sort of prayer. Uh, Somebody defined intercession as love on its knees. And so God is including us, right, in the furthering of his purposes in in one another's lives, and we should take advantage of that. I think it might have been Reese Howells that said this, true prayer begins in the heart of God, is communicated to the hearts of praying people, is prayed back to God again, God answers that prayer, and then we praise him. That's not exactly a quote, uh, but do you see the kind of the back and forth and how we're partners with God? It starts with God. He inspires our hearts to pray about a certain thing. We pray it back up to him. I'm saying up and down. You, you know what I mean. I'm not really, I'm just using spatial terminology uh, in an anthropomorphic way. I mean, God is with us and, and so on. But Let's just use that up and down. So we, he, he communicates it down to our praying hearts. We pray it back up to him. He comes down and answers the prayer. And then we, uh, and then we thank him. We, we give our praises back up to God. Let me share a next category as in this primer on how they prayed in the early church. Now, these, I only have, I don't know, four... Uh, four passages here out of Acts. There are a number of others and that I could share, but these are just their together prayers, the, the kinds of prayers that we have the text of or the description of <clears throat> where they prayed together and uh, talking about the benefits of praying together as a church. Um, because I find it really encouraging and helpful to pray with other people because uh, let's just say I'm praying with 10 other people in a prayer meeting, let's say, and I begin to pray uh, something about uh, the moral climate of my city or we, uh, someone else begins to pray about a, a, a person in our fellowship who's sick or whatever. And I find my, my faith building for that particular thing that somebody else prayed and how they prayed. And maybe the Holy Spirit gives me a passage of scripture that backs up that. And I pray that out to God. And, and then somebody else kind of adds to that. And then maybe we go off and pray about something else. But there's something about praying with people. I mean, Jesus said it, right? When two or three are gathered, uh, there I am in the midst. But anyway, here's Acts 1.14. It says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his, and his brothers. They joined together constantly in prayer. So this is before Pentecost. Jesus had said, Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And so the best they, I guess they assumed that what he meant was, get together and stay prayerful and seek the Lord. Uh, Seek me and you'll find me, Jeremiah says, or God says through Jeremiah. But they joined together constantly in prayer. I don't see that in the church very much. In fact, it's, you know, what I'm seeing is almost a an uncomfortability when I've, I've noticed with some people, I'll say, well, we've been talking about something. Well, let's pray about that. And and it's as though I've I've suggested that we, you know, 
uh, go get root canals or something together. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it, it should be more natural for us to not only pray, but to pray together. And then in Acts 4, this is a beautiful thing. And this is after the, uh, the apostles had gotten jailed. And so the brothers and sisters got together and it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, <clears throat> as I recall, I haven't checked this, but as I recall that the word voice there is actually in the singular in the Greek text. So they raised their voice together in prayer to God. So in other words, it was there as though their voices together it were in such harmony. And this is the way praying with people ought to be, that it's like one voice, yeah? And then it describes their, it, it, it not only describes their prayer, but uh, gives us some of the text of it. Quote, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If you think about it, that's pretty bizarre to pray that because, you know, their savior had been crucified and now they're jailing your leaders, the leaders of the church and beating them up. And so when they get together for prayer, they don't say, oh God, you know, get our apostles out. Uh, oh God, protect us. But it's, oh God, propel us. Uh, you know, give us more boldness. We're just going to go out there and do it, but we're going to need boldness because we're afraid, you know, stretch out your hands to heal, etc. And it says after that, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. You know this passage. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So I, I wonder if one of the reasons for our lack of boldness is that we're not praying together for boldness and praying for the miraculous. Then the next one is uh, in Acts 13, uh, verse 3, it says, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, that is Paul and Barnabas, and sent them off. This was in that place where they were worshiping and fasting in the first couple of verses here in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit spoke into that meeting and said, separate to me Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to. And uh, so then it says they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them off. They fasted and prayed. So they didn't just see it as well, God said to do it, so you guys just go now. They, they prayed, and they did it with fasting. And let me just stop a minute. I'm not going to give a whole big thing on, on uh, fasting here. But let me say this, that fasting, I think it's Tim Keller or somebody, maybe it was John Piper, actually, that said that fasting it kind of puts an exclamation point to prayer. I mean, it kind of punctuates uh, kind of like a, an exclamation point does it punctuates, you know, the main things that you want to really emphasize. It makes it emphatic. It, it goes with prayer like that. Let me say this about fasting. It's kind of an ancillary activity. And that by that, I mean, it's not meant to exist by itself. It goes along with prayer. We're not just fasting to uh, lose weight, although that's a great benefit. And it also has health benefits. But the spiritual benefits to fasting are, let me just say this, to curb carnality, increase intercession, to release repentance, 
and to get guidance and maybe a bunch of other things. But curb carnality, fasting has a, has a capability of reminding us that we're spirits with bodies, not a body with a spirit. And it increases intercession. And it, it, you find that often in the, in the Bible where they are praying for people like this passage in, in Acts 13. It increases your capacity to intercede with you know, the wisdom of God. It also releases repentance when, uh, in ourselves. Um, you find that in the book of Joel and read about the repentance, or I should say the repentance that they needed and how that was released uh, in, through fasting. And also uh, David and the others, uh, other of the patriarchs uh, fasted when they were seeking the Lord for guidance. There's a lot more. But I could say this about fasting is that it kind of is extraordinary prayer. Extraordinary prayer is where you have an all-night prayer meeting or a day of prayer or go on a prayer retreat and spend special times in prayer. Fasting kind of goes along with some of those things. Okay, that's the end of part one. Uh, Next time we'll cover how Nehemiah prayed, how Paul prayed, and how Jesus taught us to pray. I'll talk at you then. There is no one like you is no one like you